Hey everyone. As you know, I'm a huge fan of living a healthy lifestyle, including taking the right supplements. Collagen is one of my favorite supplements. It is the most abundant protein in the human body. As we grow older, we break it down faster than we can replace it. This loss affects our skin, nails, hair, muscles, joints, and tendons, bones, and gut, making us look and feel old. Totem Voss is a wellness company that created a collagen chew for a real-life person, the 78-year-old mother of the founder. As a result, the quality is unrivaled. Totem Voss chews contain equal part deep-sea Icelandic cod, domestic grass-fed beef, and organic chicken bone broth, along with companion ingredients such as vitamin C for full collagen synthesis. These varied sources address a greater range of collagen needs within the body. Their customers are reporting results with such problems as rosacea, osteoarthritis, osteoporosis, degenerative disc disease, as well as improved hair, skin, and nails. Practitioners are finding the Jews to be an effective tool in restoring gut health. You can find Totem Voss, that's T-O-T-U-M-V-O-S, at getchews.com. That's getchews.com. Use code DRDIVA, that's D-R-D-I-V-A, for an additional 10% off your first order. So everybody has said that they just feel better, like generally just better, who have done IV stem cells. But he came back and he told me the whole process and he told me that he did IV stem cells and I want to say three or four weeks later, he just kind of talked me through the process of things hurting and then feeling better. And it was all in areas where he'd injured himself before. So I just think that's so awesome. Like the body is so cool that it knows those things. You know? Hello, this is Dr. Deva Nagula. Welcome to From Doctor to Patient, where our goal is to bring you topics of discussion that will educate you on the various healing modalities to help balance the mind, body, and spirit. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of From Doctor to Patient. I have Dr. Jordana Quinn joining me today. She is board certified in physical medicine and rehabilitation and has specialty training in regenerative medicine, functional medicine, and aesthetics. Dr. Quinn has extensive experience with athletes of all types, professional and amateur. She enjoys helping athletes and busy entrepreneurs feel and look better by figuring out exactly what the patient's goals are, taking measurable steps to achieve them. Dr. Quinn's extensive training and persistent love of learning enable her to offer an extensive realm of treatments to her patients, including stem cells, genetic testing, hormone treatments, IV therapies, aesthetic treatments, and more. Dr. Quinn is a true advocate of practice what you preach. She does not recommend treatments to patients that she would not be willing to do herself or her family. When Dr. Quinn is not working, she enjoys mountain biking, snowboarding, yoga, traveling, biohacking her health, and spending time with her family. Dr. Quinn, welcome. How are you today? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for joining me today. You know, we were talking offline briefly about our backgrounds, and, and we do both have a background in physical medicine and rehabilitation, otherwise known as PM&R physiatry. And it's interesting. It seems like a lot of people who went into that field have espoused regenerative medicine. And uh, was there a specific transition point for you to switch gears to regenerative medicine, or did it just kind of like become part of your practice and then just consume your old practice? Well, I think, I mean, for me, I've always been more naturally medicine minded. I come from being an athlete personally, 
Um, and so I worked in a, in a pain practice where I was doing a lot of interventional pain and prescribing meds, and it didn't feel like it fit my personality. And so when I saw, I ended up seeing a couple of sports medicine patients during that time in general, and they also wanted more natural treatments. And so I did a Google search for PRP because I did learn about regenerative medicine in residency. We didn't do it in residency, um, but I knew about it. And so when I saw these sports patients who, and they were professional athletes, so they couldn't do steroids or whatever before competition. Um, so we'd look up PRP and found a guy close by and I found him a few times and I finally was just like, I wrote him a letter and told him to hire me essentially because I was like, what he does is really cool. Um, and there's a few other things that I've kind of found for patients looking for like alternative treatments. And it always pointed to this one doc in town. So, I mean, definitely my passion made sense to me. And then also found someone a few miles from my house who did it. So it was meant to be. No, that's great. Let's talk a little bit about what regenerative medicine is. It's a big scope of field that's relatively new and it's a hot field. So what is regenerative medicine? So regenerative medicine is a scope of medicine where you're really trying to help the body heal itself. And so it's actually been around for a long time in the form of what's called prolotherapy, which is not so much what people think of as regenerative medicine today, but it's really using your body's own natural healing. And so back in the day, prolotherapy was the only thing around, and that was using essentially a noxious substance, such as most commonly dextrose, which is a sugar solution. And so you're using dextrose or other there are other noxious substances as well but that's the most common one and you inject it into an area of injury and so part of it is the actual injecting of a needle as we know just doing a tenotomy really helps heal because it's bringing in blood flow that wouldn't otherwise be there but also when you're injecting a noxious substance your body wants to take it out so it stimulates blood flow production into an area that doesn't have one and, and blood flow brings all of the healing factors and so inside of your blood and this will lead me into kind of more of where regenerative medicine is at today. But inside of your blood, you have your body's own natural platelets and your own body's own natural stem cells that serve to heal the area. So for example, so more today, people think of regenerative medicine as just PRP or platelet-rich plasma and or stem cells. And the truth of the matter is it encompasses all of those things, and there's a time place for each one of those, including prolotherapy sometimes, sometimes just PRP, and sometimes stem cells are necessary. And so how I like to describe it, if someone's trying to think of kind of what regenerative medicine does, we're talking about right now from mostly like an orthopedic standpoint. I do some of aesthetics as well. You could put platelets on your face and stimulate collagen, but really what you and I are going to be talking about mostly is um, from an orthopedic standpoint, because the regenerative medicine is becoming big in other areas of medicine as well. And I don't keep up with it. Um, but when I, how I describe it to patients is you're essentially forcing a really potent blood supply to an area that doesn't have one. So our joints and our ligaments and our tendons don't have a good blood supply. And so as we get older, they don't heal as well because they tend to be watershed areas, meaning, you know, just there's not a good blood supply. And so we're taking your blood or we're taking your healing cells and concentrating them down. And so we're sticking a ton of healing factors into an area that has a poor blood supply. So we're forcing a blood supply in a very potent healing blood supply into an area that doesn't have one. And so, um, so I imagine it, you know, like if you just cut your skin, for example, you have skin stem cells existing in your skin all the time called fibroblasts, but they're not yet skin. They're just cells that are waiting for someone to tell them to become skin essentially. 
or if you break your bone, the same thing. I mean, there's bone cells that are waiting for someone to tell them to turn into bone. And so if you cut your skin, you have stem cells right there that are super excited to become skin, but you bleed and inside your blood, there's platelets. And those platelets serve to stop you from bleeding, but then they also are kind of like the general contractors of the area. They are calling in growth factors and they're calling in stem cells. You have a small amount, but you have stem cells circulating in your blood. Um, and the stem cells circulating in your blood don't know what they want to be yet. They're just kind of scoping it out to see if they want to be bone or, or skin or whatever else. And so, so the platelets are the general contractors. And so they're, do, they're doing the signaling. And so then over time, you form new skin, right? You form a scab first. And then under the scab, all of the growth factors and stem cells are kind of doing their work to try to form skin. And then you have like a scar. And even over the course of three, six months, that scar heals better and better and becomes more like your old skin. And as you've noticed, as you get older, the ability for you to heal and for your skin to not scar is more and more difficult. And so this is exactly what's happening in your body. You have less stem cells circulating around, you have a worse blood supply, you know, things just don't work as well for a variety of reasons. So with regenerative medicine, we're really just trying to force a, your body to heal itself. That's that's great. Thank you for that explanation. That was very uh, yeah. clear, and I appreciate that. And kind of leads me to the next question: is like, at what point do you use, or if you use both, that's great too. But when do you use platelet-rich plasma as a mode of treatment versus stem cells? Um, there's a couple of different things. I think um, platelet-rich plasma definitely has been around longer and has better studies, and so. Some other docs refer me just for platelet-rich plasma, and so I'll do that. But um, it's hard to explain. Obviously, as physicians, medical history is important. Doing a physical exam is important. And so it's never just one thing. But taking those two things in consideration, and if I could just kind of say one thing, I mean, I generally think if people are looking at joint replacements, so knee replacement, ankle replacement, shoulder replacement, they want stem cells. I mean, stem cells are 10 times as potent. They're 10 times the cost, so that's also a factor often as well, but they're, they're 10 times as potent. So if cost is no factor, I would almost always do stem cells because you're going to get a, a, I don't want to say a better outcome because PRP is amazing so many of the times. And a lot of the time it's all you need. Like if there's just a meniscus tear, I mean, I'm not recommending stem cells ever for just a meniscus tear, um, unless it's a pretty complex one or they have a few things going on because it's just not necessary to spend thousands of dollars when I know most people get I mean, a great response with just PRP. So part of it's just clinical knowledge. But again, if I had to pick one thing, it would be like, if you're looking at a joint replacement, stem cells 100% of the time, anything else we have a conversation about. Also, stem cells is a bigger procedure. So I use autologous stem cells, meaning I take the patient's own stem cells and I process them. And we can talk about this in a minute. And then, you know, concentrate them down and inject their own stem cells into the area. And so it's a bigger procedure. And so also depending on the patient's age and their medical history, you don't always want to do that bigger procedure. Still a much, much, much smaller procedure than getting surgery. Um, but I mean, I, I guess that being said, I don't take it lightly, you know, talking to someone about stem cells because it's a procedure. And so many people will buy stem cells. You can now get amniotic stem cells and umbilical stem cells and something called exosomes. And it's a huge controversial area in regenerative medicine. And my general recommendation to the public, and, and I do think there's a time and a place for purchased stem cells. 
However, my general recommendation to the public is if you go see a doctor, and sometimes it's a doctor, um, and they only can offer you umbilical cells or exosomes or something where they're not saying they're going to use your own stem cells, you need to find a different provider. You should be able to talk to your doctor about using your own stem cells or buying stem cells, Because, and I'm very biased about this, but now because you can buy stem cells, anyone can buy stem cells and do it, right? So whether you're a chiropractor, you're a nurse practitioner, whether you're not, I mean, as a physiatrist, you know, like we do thousands of injections before we leave residency, and there's some people who just don't, like, I mean, I don't want to name anybody, but you know, so there's plenty of what I feel like are not well-trained physicians or other providers that suddenly decided that stem cells were fun. You know, they don't have the knowledge to know when to use purchased stem cells versus when to use your own and may or may not have the close to the injection training that we have, right? So you're going to spend thousands of dollars on a procedure. You really want to make sure that you're getting a high quality doctor. Um, so I think that's a very easy way to distinguish someone who actually knows regenerative medicine, keeps up with the field, is if they know how to get your own stem cells or not. And, and again, I've done both, but I can have that conversation with my patient. So the, there's two types of stem cells, which are your body's own stem cells. You can get stem cells from fat or you can get stem cells from bone marrow, which is why it's a procedure. You're either doing a mini liposuction or you're tapping into someone's PSIS, like in the back of their hip pelvis, and you're pulling out stem cells. And while it's not a complicated procedure, you know, it obviously takes training. And to get that training, you have to know a lot of regenerative medicine. You have to understand the cell biology, or at least, you know, have courses. You can't just pick up a phone and call a stem cell company and say, send me stem cells. I want to stick them in someone. So that is my like warning to patients or people who are looking for regenerative medicine is make sure that the person who says they're going to do stem cells aren't just like, oh, I'll buy some and we'll do them at the end of the week. They should let you know about the different modalities and why you might be a good candidate to just buy them or not. And so at my practice, I do both bone marrow and that because I've been in this regenerative medicine world for 10 years. And so 10 years ago, we didn't understand the difference between bone marrow and fat. And we still don't, to be honest, like which one's better. And there's people who will only do bone marrow. There's people who only do fat. I am fortunate enough to have learned both. And so most of the time I use both because we do know that the concentration of stem cells in your fat is greater than anywhere else in your body. However, in bone marrow, supposedly they're more robust stem cells. So I think, well, we may as well have the best and the most. Yeah. And it's interesting. It's, it's, I guess you would use the PRP because it's more of a signaling cell molecule to really attract other stem cells. So it makes sense to do that in a more of a less injurious joint, like the meniscal tear or something of that nature, versus if you have a severe joint, you really need that volume and that yeah. uh, amount of, of stem cells, then that's when you go ahead and do the stem cells instead of the PRP. And, and, and my question to you is, would you combine the two at any point? All the time. Okay. Yeah. So then you're yeah. getting the best of both worlds. You're attracting stem cells from the platelets, and then you're also infusing autologous stem cells. So you're getting the best of both. Correct. I'm 100% of the time doing PRP when I'm doing stem cells. That's just part of what I add into my procedures. I know some people don't do it that way because they say, oh, there's PRP and bone marrow. And it's been years since I've looked at, you know, kind of the cell breakdown, but supposedly there's some platelets at the end. But really, when you're doing bone marrow, you don't want to pull platelets or red cells. You are for sure, but you are trying not to. And so I don't rely on the amount of platelets that might be in my stem cells from bone marrow. And 
someone's in my office doing that procedure for two or three hours. Anyhow, it's so easy to pull blood and spin it down while I'm doing the other procedures because PRP is just taking blood. And so that takes about an hour and a half total procedure where stem cells is like three hours. So I always do it. And actually myself, because I've been doing it for so long, what I realized is that really one stem cell injection is great. And years ago when there weren't that many docs doing it, people would fly in to see me because they couldn't get stem cells anywhere else. And people still fly in because they've heard of me or they've been my patients for a long time or something like that. But you know, there are a lot of more doctors doing it. And so back in the day, we would just do one stem cell procedure and they could fly out. And a lot of people were doing PRP. And so we would find a PRP clinic because I found that it's very important to do follow-up PRP injections. So I do two follow-up PRP injections about a month apart to really stimulate those stem cells that we put in there, right? So they're the signaling molecules and they're kind of waking up the stem cells. So the stem cells can get lazy or whatever. And so they're waking them up and they're, it just really makes the procedure a lot more robust in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Oh, that totally makes sense. And so the idea is, is to essentially attract the stem cells to, to repair and heal whatever pathology is going on in the joint. Correct. And then typically, you know, what range of injury are you able to treat with this modality? Are you able to treat like total bone-on-bone degeneration or is it something that you still need a little bit of cartilage that's present in order for these modalities to work? Yes to both. Um, You do need some cartilage present. You need a matrix to work on. However, even when people say they're bone-on-bone, there's most of the time there's some sort of cartilage matrix to work with. I've only ever once literally seen nothing. And even in that patient, actually, she was non-ambulatory and I think she was 90. And so she wasn't a candidate anyhow for total hip replacements. And we injected both of her hips and she got better. You know, I would have told her had she been a candidate to get surgery to just save her money and get surgery because she didn't get hundred percent better, but she was able to do like, wheelchair to bed transfers without pain, you know, things like that. Cause she was, I mean, she was mostly non-ambulatory. Um, so it really significantly helped decrease her pain. I didn't see her after like, after that for a long period of time to know, you know, five, 10 years later, did she still have pain relief, which is really at least what I'm looking for when I do stem cells. I tell patients, I think it buys you five to 10 years. And so whether that's five to 10 years of, and then I do another one, or then I get a joint replacement. Um, People are very happy with that no matter what. And then I have patients who honestly come in yearly because I mean, they feel great. They want to prevent further degeneration. And so, you know, you think of it like it's the opposite of degeneration. So as we get older, we're all degenerating to some degree. And so with regenerative medicine, you are rebuilding tissue, but you're not rebuilding it to when you were 25. So essentially you're kind of just balancing out the degeneration, right? And so I have definitely seen radiographic evidence of not further degeneration where literally the radiologist has called me and been like, well, their knee hasn't degenerated in the past three years. That's amazing. And they had pretty severe arthritis. And then I'm like, oh, well, we did stem cells three years ago or whatever, you know, which is, which is significant. So and it's hard in medicine because that's not on a gross level regrowing tissue, but probably microscopically, but then we're not going to go in there and take little samples to see, you know, kind of the growth. But when you don't see degeneration, I think that's significant. Right. No, I, yeah, I totally understand. And I agree with that. There's also this whole talk about what you were alluding to in the beginning of our conversation about different options and the different types of stem cells that are available. And so obviously we went through discussing autologous stem cells. What about 
stem cells that are received from the umbilical or exosomes. Can you define and describe more about that? Yeah. I've, I've used both. So umbilical stem cells, um, essentially what they do, you know, now at some hospitals, when women have babies, there's someone in there asking them if, if they want to keep their umbilical cells for their own cord blood stem cells down the road. And if they say no, then they say, can we have it for research purposes? If the patient says yes, they take the umbilical cord, they get the cells, and then they make sure there's no infections and they do all the things to make sure they're safe and sterile. And then they sell them to practitioners. Um, and there is a lot of controversy in a, if they work, you don't reject them because they don't have the antigens for rejection because they're umbilical cells. So you can give them to anybody. But there have been some physicians that have bought umbilical cells from different companies and plated them out to see if they were alive and found no live cells or things like that. So they're finding stem cells, but they're not alive. And so then the theory is, is it the freeze thaw process? However, I mean, I don't have the, the lab in my office, so I don't have the ability to do that. But I've used umbilical cells. For example, I had another 90-year-old patient who had who needed hip replacements, and she was like maybe 100 pounds sopping wet. There was zero way I was going to tap into her osteoporotic pelvis or get any fat from her. So she was a candidate for umbilical cells. And to me, it was it's amazing to have that technology for someone like her. But if you, you seem young and like healthy, if you came to me, that's not the path I'd probably take for you because it is injecting an outside substance, which, you know, is not regulated like Kenalog or regulated like we're used to in medicine. And so you just really don't know. I do have a company that I've been with for a long time and I trust, and they're the only company. They were one of the first on the market for umbilical cells or early on. Now there's again, a lot more companies and they're always trying to sell their cells to me. And I just, I don't trust people. I think there's more people out there. that's trying to make money that aren't upstanding companies and it's really sad but that's my take on it and so so anyhow I think there's a time and a place for umbilical cells um, but again it's so it's coming from an outside source and whether they're alive or not the times I've used it my patients have gotten benefit there's a theory or you know we're thinking like how do they get benefit and I'm thinking a lot of it just goes back to that cell cell signaling right you're putting the cells in there even if they're dead they are simulating the same you know autocrine and paracrine response in your body to bring new cells in and to bring platelets in and that sort of thing, right? So it's probably doing that, but you know, it's, I would compare it to, again, you, you're putting your own stem cells are like the worker bees, right? They're in there, they're trying to do all the work. So you're going to put all of these alive worker bees in, or you're going to maybe put some lazy ones and you know, you want the alive ones. So I personally think autologous is better, but again, I've had patients get benefit right. from both. Hey, Dr. Diva here. Thank you to all my listeners who supported my book and helped to make it a huge success. You all have helped us hit number one in Barnes & Noble, number one in oncology, cancer, healing, and medical ebooks, and number 21 in all of the Kindle store. You've also helped us hit number three on the Wall Street Journal bestseller list. If you haven't received your copy, you can find it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or booksatmillion.com. Visit from doctor2patient.com to become part of our growing community of health and wellness aficionados and to learn more. If you like our book and podcast, please go to amazon.com to write a five-star review and go to Apple Podcasts 
to also write a five-star review on this podcast or any of our episodes that you've enjoyed. We need reviews to attract and secure top-notch guests for this show. Thank you so much for your support. The question that comes to mind for me is that in that 90-year-old patient and say she wasn't as osteoporotic as she was and you decided to and you could harvest her own stem cells through her fat or a combination of her fat and bone marrow, those cells are 90 years old, right? So why would you be using those in regenerative purposes for that patient versus umbilical? Yeah, that is it's also an argument in regenerative medicine. And I think the thing is, is, yeah, her cells are 90 years old, but we're getting billions and billions of them. I mean, so we're getting the concentrate. It is a concentration game as well. And and this was years ago when I went to a cell biology conference and they had played it out old cells and young cells. And in the end, when they were growing, didn't find any different in the actual quality of cell, which I found very interesting. Is that still the case? I don't know. That was a few years ago. Um, and regenerative medicine is constantly evolving and we're learning new things. But I, that was so clear to me and so just interesting that there's all these theories. And in the cardiovascular world, I did talk to a cardiologist once and he, they are all about umbilical cells because young is better, young is better. And it could be just in different applications of different diseases, young is better versus old. But because we're getting so, I mean, we're getting so many cells when we're, when we're able to harvest someone else's, even, you know, at some point it's a concentration game, you know? So I, I don't know. I don't have like a good answer, but there was a one doc who did test out the same doc who, I mean, he's pretty anti anything other than autologous cells, but he did a study and then they tried to measure the concentrates, like follow the stem cells in the patient and found that also umbilical cells don't stick around as long, which we don't know what that means, you know, because is it just like, hey, they need to stimulate the, the signaling response and that's it, but they don't stay around as long in the joint. So that's a thing, Got but it. we don't know how to interpret that information. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I don't disagree. I mean, I think, I do think when you have a concentration, like if you're doing IV stem cells or something, you probably want younger cells, but again, the concentration game, I think is really important to remember because you're just right. not going to get those concentrations in umbilical cells. Right. And then there's the conversation about exosomes. Okay. So I'm very biased anti. Um, so what exosomes are, are they basically take the umbilical cells and then they take these things called vesicles, which are pouches inside the cells and they take out. And so the pouches are actually what's, what, scientists have found are doing the signaling, right? So I guess they're just like, oh, we'll take what we need. We don't need the whole umbilical cell. We just need these couches. They do the signaling and we'll get the same response. And while that sounds great, it's two things. I mean, just immediately, I think, well, there's, you know, there's a reason you eat the whole egg. You eat the yellow and the white because they have different um, benefits, but they also work together in your body to actually help digest it better. So when you just eat the whites or when you just eat the yolk, there's a whole different body process that happens to digest it because you're not eating the whole, if that makes sense. So the same thing with stem cells. I just have an innate belief system that we should use the whole. Um, like I, I don't see a good reason to not use it. So there's an argument also that we don't know what the exosomes are doing because we don't really know what they are. And I kind of find that argument to be not viable because then you could, the same could be for stem cells. We don't really know where they're going and what they're doing or whatever. So, I mean, so I think they sound good. Um, a reason to use that people want to use exosomes are because they're just purchased. And I think they're the new hottest thing in regenerative medicine. 
I have used exosomes because I have patients who are very well read and want the latest and greatest. And I've used them and I've had them personally. And I find that they are amazing for two weeks. <laughs> and so the longevity just isn't there. I mean, amazing. Like you feel amazing for two weeks and then it like pretty much completely goes away. And maybe it's a slow fall off as compared to some cells where patients get long-term benefit. I just haven't seen, I've, I've used them three times, once personally and, and two patients who asked me to, you know, and I have the conversation of, we don't really know what they do. Like they're a lot of money, X, Y, and Z. And so I thought exosomes were promising, but I don't feel like that is, um, I have not find, found them to be amazing. And so there's still thousands of dollars. So, yeah. Would you consider doing like this super combo of PRP, you know, autologous stem cells, exosomes, and the umbilical cord cells, or is there any utility of doing that combination? I mean, there might be a utility, but I mean, just buying like, Hard costs of exosomes are multi-thousand dollars. Hard costs of umbilical cells are multi-thousand dollars. Then my bone marrow kit is a thousand dollars. My adipose kit is a thousand dollars. So you're looking at a $10,000 procedure, almost just in the cost of supplies, not even like my time or my expertise or the ultrasound machine that I'm using or any of that. So I just think from an actual cost standpoint, it doesn't make sense. But maybe if I lived in Beverly Hills, it would be, you know, you just charge people $15,000 and call it a day. I don't know. All right. And then yeah. there's also the, rather than injecting into the joints and generative areas, there's also cosmetic procedures, but also people are injecting it intravenously. So uh, I'm assuming that the benefit of that is because they just go to wherever there's an injury or where there's some sort of degeneration going on in the body, injury, and then that's where these stem cells attract and go to, and then they start their process of regeneration. Yep. I mean, and it's so interesting. And so for IV stem cells, you have to buy umbilical cells or exosomes, or there's an illegal way to process fat that we don't do anymore, but I think some people still do. And I don't honestly know if it's federally illegal or illegal in Colorado, but we used to do it and we would break down fat using lipase. And so then basically long story short is that you can make it injectable. Um, but that's illegal. I think federally actually, but we don't do it ever since it became illegal. And we saw some amazing results. I mean, amazing results with like COPD, like completely reversing destroyed lungs. Like it was mind blowing amazing. And these are just with exosomes? Nope, stem cells, adipose stem cells. So some people wow. still do it and they're, they're being shut down all over the country because it's illegal. So uh, is this the reason why a lot of professional athletes are going abroad to get these types yes. of procedures done? Yes. Um, and I think they don't know, and it's probably much cheaper abroad. I don't know. Everything is like medical, our medical supplies in the States are so much more expensive than when I see in other countries. And it's, you know, the same company, it's just, they're selling it to us at six times the cost. I mean, although I guess professional athletes probably don't care too much, but also just as an aside, I've seen a bunch of professional athletes and they're very secretive about their health and their health care and they you know, I don't know if you've ever worked with professional athletes, but it's like, you cannot get their imaging from the imaging center. Like there's so many, so much red tape to go through and they don't want anyone to know they're doing the procedure. And like, you can talk to their athletic trainer and they all have a different athletic trainer, you know, it's just, it's very difficult. So if they're doing alternative treatments, they also probably don't want people to know about it. Um, yeah. But you can actually perform exosomes and inject them intravenously, just not like your, your fat stem cells. Correct. So I have done that. I've done IV, not personally, IV exos, but to patients who, again, we have a whole conversation because the cells are not FDA approved. So that's another big controversial area is they're not FDA approved. They're never going to be FDA approved. 
exosomes were trying to get FDA approval under the category of drug because once you take those vesicles out of a cell, then you're replicating that vesicle. And so it's a drug through all the red tape. Um, and then is that still hold true, the two-week benefit? And then pretty much you, you just kind of lose any improvements and benefits? Yeah. Really? Yes. Okay. So I did have a patient who worked, he, he would sell umbilical cells. And so he convinced me to do his product IV. And I said, okay, well, you know, you sell them. So that's fine. And it was, he told me his story. So, I mean, so everybody has said that they just feel better, like generally just better who have done IV stem cells, but he came back and he told me the whole process. And he told me that he did IV stem cells. And I forget the timeline. I want to say three or four weeks later, he started noticing increased pain in areas where maybe he had broken toes when he was a kid or injured himself. There was something in his foot. I don't remember. Maybe his broken toes. There was like a few different areas that he was like notable that he had injured as a kid or as a teenager or whatever as sports and they were painful and then they got better and like healed. And, but I mean, it's hard because he didn't necessarily have pain like in his toes before, but overall he still felt better, but he just kind of talked me through the process of things hurting and then feeling better and it was all in areas where he'd injured himself before. So I just think that's so awesome. Like the body is so cool that it knows those things, you know? Yeah. And, and it, so when you do the injections, now say if they were legal and you had stem cells injected into the uh, intravenously, I mean, to me, it makes sense that the first place it's going to hit is the lungs, right? So, which is why it's so good for COPD. Right. Stem cells love COPD. I mean, love lungs. And so, yes. Exactly, which is they've been doing um, a bunch of studies during COVID and um, Israel. I was just going to ask about that. Yeah, China and I think they had one in Texas. I was following them because I have one patient. Well, I have two patients, but one forty mid forties Olympic athlete got COVID so bad, got everything. He had a mini stroke. He's now in permanent heart failure. Like all of the clotting things, he had everything. Um, he, and he lives at high altitude in Southern Colorado, couldn't go back home for months, like literally had to rent a house in Phoenix because he couldn't breathe. All of his CAT scans are negative. Like they look amazing. I mean, um, but he can't even walk fast without getting extremely short of breath. We're, we're talking like nine months out from COVID. He got it on March 6th. So uh, we were talking about doing stem cells, but it was just the whole conversation of like, it's not proven. <laughs> But this is like, you know, kind of last ditch effort. He's tried everything else. Nothing's helping. I mean, he's otherwise recovered and fine. He still has this like burning in his head that I find really interesting from like his stroke. But yeah, I mean, because stem cells love the lungs and they're doing studies, I thought it would have been amazing. But I, I even reached out to a few different companies to say, hey, can we do a mini trial and just get some stem cells for free? None of them wanted to help me out. <laughs> So, I mean, I don't know that he's going to do it. That was months ago, but I don't know. It's just, it's so interesting. So the studies have shown great things, but it's just so, so controversial in the right. States. No, and, that, and that's why I'm imagining a lot of these people are going, you know, to Mexico or to places in Europe to get these done because the restrictions are a lot looser there. Yes. Well, also, um, one of the restrictions here in the U.S. is you can't expand stem cells. So you can't take someone's stem cells and then multiply them and then inject them back in you. Basically, it's called like minimal manipulation. You can take them out and like wash them and like treat them kindly and then inject them back in. But you can't try to build them. So there's at least one or two docs in the States that have clinics in other countries so that they can expand the stem cells and inject them back in. But also in general, when I, I mean, 10 years ago, when I first started doing this, we would tell patients like, okay, well, here's a company that expands the stem cells in the U.S. 
you can take your cells to Mexico and someone will do the procedure. I don't recommend people do that anymore because I also, even though I said concentration is important and it is important, I think we get enough concentration just by getting the stem cells out here. I guess the, I have known a handful of people who have done the overseas thing with expanded stem cells and I haven't, based on their opinion, haven't really seen for the cost and the time and all of that, like that much percentage of benefit to amplify stem cells. So I'm not personally convinced that that's needed. It makes sense again, just like, oh, we can take your 10 stem cells and turn it into a thousand. But um, I don't know, I'm sure there's, you know, a plateau effect with, we already get stem, 10 stem cells or, you know, we get billions, but if we get 10, that's all you need. We don't need those to be a thousand or maybe their potency decreases with every time you replicate them, you know, who knows? Um, so I just don't, personally feel like I've seen that, you know, we're going to, I'm going to see the failures or the people who aren't satisfied. So I'm seeing a biased patient population as well, but I just didn't feel like their reports were amazing. Yeah. yeah that makes sense. And then obviously the last utilization in medicine in terms of injecting these uh, regenerative factors is aesthetics. Are you doing any aesthetics in your practice? I do aesthetics again, like patient demand. And so I do tons of like PRP or what's called vampire facials. It's trademarked, but mm -hmm. yeah, where you take your platelets and then you can either put it on your face and microneedle it in or inject it. And again, it's one of, I mean, I've done it to myself many times or my nurse does it to me and a hundred percent of the time, like a month after I get it done, people are like, your skin looks amazing. I don't notice a difference because we're our own worst critics and all I see, you know, is aging, but I always get compliments, which I find amazing because I don't tell anybody that I've done anything. Um, so it's doing something. But also it's hard to see because we're aging, right? So, but we know that the platelets stimulate collagen, you know, they're, they're bringing in growth factors and things. The needles itself is stimulating collagen. So, I mean, just the science behind it. And I know we're not allowed to just like have common sense in science, but the common sense would state that it is doing something. A plastic surgeon actually came and trained me a couple of times in doing fat transfers, which I think is cool. And so years ago when I got trained in doing fat transfers, it was just like, for the purpose of like filler, right? So you're using your body's own fat to fill in areas. But now we know that, I mean, fat is such an awesome stem cell provider. It's not just a filler, it's also really stimulating collagen kind of like over and over. And so people who do fat transfers, and I don't do a lot of that, but people who do fat transfers or get fat transfers as opposed to just hyaluronic acid fillers are really benefiting from that improved collagen and their skin tends to look a lot more amazing not just because of the quantity of filler, but because of that stem cell component. Got it. Yeah. Besides the facial, the vampire, are you doing any other aesthetics? So I know people have other aesthetics that they're doing. They're doing the O shot and P shot, things of that nature. I'll do that if patients ask. I don't, I mean, again, I come from a PM and R background. I like ortho and sports, <laughs> yeah. but I can do it, right? The hardest thing, I mean, the hardest part is processing the cells correctly. You want to make sure you have a good kit or you know your numbers. I mean, learning how to do the adipose and the bone marrow. So once you know that, and again, in PM&R, I mean, I think injecting a knee takes a lot more skill than injecting hair or private parts. And I've, so I've been trained in that just because at some conferences, they kind of train you in everything and it's why not. And so if my current patients ask me to do it, I'll totally do it. And it works. It definitely works. But it's not something I advertise because it's not really my favorite thing to do. Yeah. Got it. Yeah, I understand. I'd rather help someone like get on their bike again or go ski right. or, you know, right. sex is important though. I don't know. Right. And then what are your thoughts on injecting ozone with stem cells or PRP into joints? Um, 
So I would say I don't know enough about it. I have taken a course on it, even a course, a couple of hours of like a webinar, whatever you want to call it. And it sounds promising and it sounds amazing. It's just one more thing that I haven't learned. I feel like I have so many tools in my toolbox um, already. Um, but, you know, people, I mean, there truly is something for everyone. There isn't one thing for everyone. So is ozone going to be the added thing that just fixes everyone? I don't know. I mean, I know patients who've gotten amazing benefit from it. And I know people have had no effect from it and didn't notice a difference. There also just, again, becomes a, a point where it's like, I could do all of these services. Sometimes I actually put peptides in my PRP and I could do all these services, but like the, the, the cause, I don't charge my patients more for that. It's just like, or sometimes I use hyaluronic acid in a knee and PRP because there was a study that showed that that actually worked better than either alone. But it's like, patients are A, only gonna pay so much. And I am terrible at charging my patients for things. So. I can't just keep adding services because I think they're cool. You know, like there has to be a cost benefit, you know? And so with ozone, that's just kind of like one more yeah. thing I could take a course by and then hope people want to pay for. I don't know, you know? Yeah, no, I get it. It's just, I was just curious in your thoughts because I, I had visited a provider who was offering a training course and what she did was she did mix everything, the PRP as well as the ozone and she did inject it into scars as well as into, into other areas, joints, and, and they seem to be really effective results. But again, you know, you're getting the results with what you're doing, you know, is it necessary to do the next step of ozone? Probably not, but it's always up there. Totally. That's what I mean, same with like the peptides. I just, I do sometimes in severe cases or whatever. I don't know if you know anything about peptides, but there's mm -hmm. one called BPC-157 that's yep. good for tendon repair. And I have personal experience with it. And I'm a huge skeptic. Like I try things out on myself <laughs> before patients. And so in the beginning of COVID, I got Achilles tendonitis from taking levofloxacin. That was a bummer. And it was so bad. It was so bad. I don't know if you've ever had it, but it hurt so bad for so long. And then in the beginning of COVID, I mean, in Colorado, it was March. So it's cold and I couldn't like, I'm not a runner, but I was becoming a runner because I had a treadmill. <laughs> I couldn't do anything. Anyhow, so I had Achilles tendonitis for months. I got a PRP injection. I don't know if it helped or not. I honestly don't remember. And then I had a patient at the same time who's been my patient forever. Achilles tendonitis for years. He's had ankle pain, years. So I did PRP on him and I was like, well, you know, and I tried taking BPC-157, I'm trying it. And both of us, two or three months later, no Achilles tendonitis. Now, obviously there's always a time thing with healing, but he had his for years. So we did PRP and BBC 157 and that was, I mean, the summer and he's been totally fine. He's skiing and he's running and he's doing all the thing. And my ankle literally, it's one of those things where you notice because it hurts every day. And then when you don't have pain, you don't notice. But suddenly I was like, oh my gosh, I haven't felt this in a long time. Oh. Um, so That's now awesome. I'm a believer. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, no, no, I've been researching peptides and had a, a gentleman on my podcast recently to discuss peptides and it was, it was just fascinating. So yeah, this is great. This is great work. And, and thank you for all the work that you do on this topic. And for my listeners who are curious about hearing more about you or regenerative medicine, where can they find more information about you? So they can find me. Um, my website is core medicine. It's core with a K. So K-O-R-E medicine.com. Also, those are my social media handles at Core Medicine. Um, we do virtual consults, um, at least, you know, initially, obviously, to do the procedures, people have to be in my office, but I'm happy to do virtual consults, you know, to keep it quick and easy for patients. Um, yeah, and reach out if you have questions. I, I love it. All right. Well, thanks so much for joining us. You're welcome. Thanks for having me.